0: This is St. Patty's Day, St. Patrick's Day, and uh, it's a little green on my tie, now. but uh, you know, uh, St. Patrick was not Irish, might get you in trouble, but he was British, he was a Briton, <laughs> and the first real missionary, as far as we know, to the Irish Celts. And they were converted and began a people movement long before the Roman Catholic Church began to move into that area. And it was independent of that for many, many years, for centuries. And uh, spread back over through the Celts of Scotland, down through Wales, and, and eventually converting the uh, invading Saxons in England, who in turn, those converts, reached Saxons in Northern Europe. And eventually through Anscar and others, the Nordic Vikings, the invaders, and after two and a half centuries of missions to them, there was a people movement that swept Scandinavia. It all began with one missionary to a people who had captured him as a slave, as a boy. And when he'd escaped, he had a chance to stay away, but he said, no, they need the gospel. And he went back. Movements are like that. They can be started by people who are ordinary people with an extraordinary God. Today we set apart the first missionaries from this congregation itself, I mean, that have been members here and called out of this congregation and are being sent by God to South Asia, a place where the gospel first went at the um, middle of the first century. You may not know that. I won't go into all that. Really a wonderful story. There are still Christians today, uh, those who call themselves Christians in the Church of Maritoma. But so much of South Asia needs the gospel that Mandy and Brian and uh, little Lydia and Molly will bring. So as we think of missions today, as we think of our part in that not only sending them out but reaching our neighbors as mike has reminded us would you turn with me either in your bibles i hope you brought them or in your bulletins the uh, the text is printed out there to first chronicles chapter 4 verses 9 and 10 this is a full service mike said be please be very careful of the time and i will do that so if you will permit me i'll read my transcript which i seldom do and we will finish right on time. Hear the word of God from 1 Chronicles chapter 4, verses 9 and 10. God's word. Jabez was more honorable than his brothers. His mother had named him Jabez, saying, I gave birth to him in pain. Jabez cried out to the God of Israel, Oh, that you would bless me. And enlarge my territory, let your hand be with me, and keep me from harm, hara, evil, so that I will be free from pain, evil. And God granted his request. Thus far in God's word, let's pray. Heavenly Father. In the few moments we have to meditate upon this passage, would you touch our hearts, each one, and especially the hearts of Brian and Mandy today, but each one of us as well who send them and who stay here, ambassadors for Christ in Georgia. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. When our eldest child was just two years old, My wife's brother used to see him coming and exclaim, "Uh Uh-oh, here comes trouble. Now, can you imagine actually naming your child Trouble? How about naming your son Painful? How would that be for a name? Would any of you do that? (laughs) Well, there are two verses in the Bible that tell us about someone whose mother did that to him. She actually named her son Painful or at least what sounded like it in their language. But there's a lesson in it for us too. In the verses which we have just read, we learn that God desires his people to devote themselves to an expanded vision of service to him. When our youngest child, Hans, was born in Nairobi, Kenya, during one of our missionary assignments overseas, he was delivered with the umbilical cord wrapped around his neck were profoundly thankful to the Lord our God that he did not experience any major complications during childbirth or subsequent health problems nevertheless our african neighbors promptly named him owino which means in luo umbilical cord <laughs> in africa babies are often named according to the circumstances surrounding their their birth, a storm, a, a hyena's cry, or in this case, an umbilical cord. <laughs> uh, they take it to signify that the baby is a survivor, a child of destiny. He's already survived the f- his first great uh, obstacle or challenge to life. So in Jabez case too, there appears to be a lesson here for us. I want you to notice first that for the child of God, neither an unhappy past nor a lack of any human inheritance prevents us from experiencing God's blessing. The story of Jabez's birth occurs in the midst of a context, and the context is the chronicle of clan lineage within Israel. Jacob's listed within the section under the tribe of Judah the line through which Jesus Christ eventually would be born. Now, what seems strange at first is that Jabez's own parents are not named. Neither are his descendants. So, why is Jabez introduced in a genealogical section? Well, the answer has to do with the purpose of the chronicler. In the book of Genesis, we read of another person who's introduced without listing his parents or descendants. His name is Melchizedek, and he lived in the time of Abraham. We read about him in Genesis chapter 14. The psalmist refers to him in Psalm 110 in a verse which is often quoted in the New Testament as applicable to the office of the Lord Jesus Christ. The psalmist says, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. The New Testament author of the epistle to the Hebrews quotes that psalm and then explains the significance of Melchizedek in Hebrews chapter 7, uh, first 10 verses, we'll read just the first three. This Melchizedek, says the scriptures, was king of Salem and priest of God most high. He met Abraham returning from the defeat of the kings and blessed him. And Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. First, his name means king of righteousness. And then also, King of Salem means King of Peace. Without father or mother, without genealogy, without beginning of days or end of life, like the Son of God, he remains a priest forever. So perhaps the brief account of Jabez is intended to show us something of the character of the promised Messiah, the ruler of who was to come forth out of Judah. Why else would the scriptures say that Jabez was more honorable than his brothers? His mother had given birth to him in pain, and she named him accordingly. Now, that name may not have been very easy for him to grow up with. His childhood playmates may well have teased him about his name. Hey, painful, get over him. Children could be like that. But the Bible does not call people more honorable simply because they've experienced a hard childhood. And the Bible certainly does not do so just because they pray for an easy life. No. Many people have suffered greatly and have not been revered just because of that fact. And the Bible does not lift up difficulty-free living as a sign of a holy life in a broken and sinful world. Jesus said, in the world you will have phlepsis, tribulation, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. Paul could write Timothy and say, yes, and everyone who would live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. So there must be something more here. What can it be? Well first, Jabez recognized his dependence upon God and he cried out in prayer. The text reads that Jabez cried out to the God of Israel, Oh that you would bless me indeed. Jabez knew That no labor of his hands would accomplish anything without the gracious blessing of the God who had promised his forefather Jacob to make of him a great nation and to give his descendants the land of Canaan. That promise was made to Jacob at Peniel as Jacob prepared to return to Canaan after a twenty year absence and to face his alienated brother Esau. God changed Jacob's name at the same time from Jacob, which means supplanter, to Israel, which means one who wrestles with God, or alternatively, Prince of God. The promise God gave Israel was in turn the continuation of God's original promise to Jacob's grandfather, Abraham. We remember in, Abraham, in Genesis chapter 12, the opening verses, the Lord had said to Abram, leave your country, your people, and your father's household and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. and I will, I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you I will curse and all peoples on earth will will be blessed through you. So by invoking the God of Israel, Jabez would have been acknowledging God's covenantal plan for the world through His chosen people and ultimately through His chosen one, the one who would come and give His life upon the cross and rise on the third day. We celebrated an Easter soon to come in our year. Ascend to heaven having given first the commission to take the gospel into all the nations. And notice that neither Jabez' past personal tragedies, nor his apparent lack of any noteworthy family connections, prevented him from being used by God in a wonderful way. And so it is with you and with me. We may not be from influential families or have wealth, or learning, or power. We may have come out of lives with a history of personal tragedy, perhaps a broken home, being abandoned, or orphaned, or handicapped, or abused as children. But none of those things can stop God from taking our lives and making them into something very beautiful and very special in His service. And that brings us to the second point the child of God, experiences God's blessings as he or she seeks to be fully used by God in carrying out God's great program in history. Jabez was declared to be more honorable than his brothers. Why? They may also have prayed to the God of Israel. What was so special about Jabez's prayer? Jabez prayed basically for two things. First, he prayed that God would enlarge his boundaries. Now, we need to understand what that would have meant during the time of the Israelite conquest of Canaan. The Israelites faced an enemy who was numerous, well-defended, and quite determined (coughs) to prevent the revealed purpose of God. (coughs) Now, God could surely simply have wiped out the Canaanites overnight. He would later do so With the invading Assyrian army of the king Sennacherib, but God had told Joshua that He intended His people to be involved in the conquest and uh, the occupation of the Promised Land. It took faith to step out beyond one's own neighborhood to confront the enemy beyond. Jabez was not trying to build an empire for himself, and the stocks will not be either. He wanted God to use him to expand the horizon of God's kingdom. The Apostle Paul expressed the same aspiration to build the kingdom of God, but this time through the spiritual conquest of missions. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, the last part of verse 15 and the beginning of verse 16, Paul writes, Our hope is that as your faith continues to grow, our area of activity among you will greatly expand so that we can preach the gospel in the regions beyond you. Now the second thing Jabez prayed for was for divine protection against spiritual attack and subversion by the great adversary of God's people. The word translated pain or calamity may also be translated as moral evil, ra'ah, and it often, in fact, usually is in the Hebrew Old Testament. In this instance, the Greek translation of the Old Testament that was often used by Jesus and the Apostles, the Septuagint, has the definite article just like the Hebrew did. It should be translated as the evil or the evil one, hoponeros. The construction used is the same one which is mirrored in the words of Jesus when he taught his disciples to pray, deliver us from Hoponiros, the evil or the evil one. Notice again the definite article. The identical expression is found a number of other places in the New Testament, including by the Apostle Paul in his second letter to the Thessalonians. Uh, And there he again, is referring to Satan, the great malevolent spiritual personality who opposes God. In 2 Thessalonians 3, verse 3, Paul writes, But the Lord is faithful, and he will strengthen and protect you from the evil one. Hoponiros. Same construction. So Jabez appears to have been asking for God's protection from Satan's attack, not simply that he would have a cushy number, as Australians say. An easy life. Jabez goes on to say that you would extend my borders, that you would keep me from the evil one so that he would not trouble me. We're all too easily seduced by the temptations of the devil. Jesus told his disciples in Gethsemane, pray so that you may not fall into temptation. When Joshua led the Israelites to their first great victory over Jericho, one Israelite succumbed to the temptation to steal the plunder. His name was Achan. And Joshua asked him, Why have you troubled Israel? Thirty other men died because of his sin. Achan was judged, but he'd already brought trouble upon the people of God. Jabez wanted God and his grace and mercy to spare him that. He understood that for God to use him, he would need to be protected from the spiritual seduction of the adversary, and so must we. That's why the Apostle Paul speaks in Ephesians chapter 6 of putting on the whole spiritual armor of God with prayer. Our feet. Shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, our loins girt about with truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the helmet of salvation, the shield of faith, the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and to put it on with prayer. Do you do so each day? Do you pray for your brothers and sisters in Christ here at CCC and across the world as we send the stocks to do, do so as well? You know, There really is actually such a thing as holy ambition. Did you know that? Caleb demonstrated it when, in God's name, he boldly charged the walls of fortified Hebron soon after Joshua's conquest of the southern alliance of Canaanite kings. Caleb was well over 80 years old, perhaps 85 at the time. A much younger Jim Elliot demonstrated holy ambition when he took the gospel to the Alca Indians of Ecuador and laid down his life as a missionary martyr. His courageous widow, Elizabeth, showed the same holy ambition when she took their little daughter with her to live among the very villagers who had murdered her husband in order to win them to Christ. In his diary, Jim Elliot had written, Lord, make me dangerous. He meant dangerous in the sense of spiritual confrontation with the forces of evil so that Satan could not simply ignore him. God mightily used Jim Elliot's sacrifice to raise up an army of new missionaries who were challenged by his example. Jim Elliot was still a young man. Caleb was well over 80 years old. Faith has no age limits. As we continue to forge ahead in this new millennium, my prayer is that God may grant that each one of us may have the grace of a renewed vision of himself and of his cause in redemptive history. And may the Lord our God expand our vision to do our part within it. May we pray with Jim Elliot, Lord, make me dangerous. And with Jabez, expand our horizons. Let's pray.